Welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game. With every conversation, we hope to inspire as many as possible to keep on Dungeon Mastering. I'm one of your hosts, DM Neil, aka Joke Moniac, and today we're going to be dipping back into our ancestral analysis series and talking about the Duergar, the Dwergar, whichever way, and we get into that topic first and foremost. And today we're going to have Jeremy Cobb from Three Black Halflings join us once again. But before we do that, we're going to have an iTunes review entitled Great Stuff, Five Stars by Slim. Stumbled upon this podcast when frantically looking for help to run my first campaign, started all the way back in episode one and have learned so much working through the archives. Thanks for the hard work, guys. Sometimes it's hard work, but it's always fun work. So thank you, Slim, for that review. And with that, let's head to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? Looks like meat's back on the menu, boys. Today on the meat, we have... Which I realize that reference is even more fun because of who we have. We have a returning guest. It is Jeremy Cobb, one of the hosts and the resident GM for the Three Black Halflings. Jeremy, thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad to be back. Uh, I had such a great time the first time, and I'm really happy to get to revisit and meet Mitch. Hey, Mitch. Yes. <laughs> yes. You. I wasn't able to be here for the first episode you were on. So what we've got to do today is make this episode 10 times better just so you walk away and you're like oh man when when mitch is on the podcast like oh goodness <laughs> go on i'm ready to be blown away <laughs> perfect so one of the things that i had thought of there are several things one was and you, you do it on your show so we'll have to do it here for anyone that is a dungeon masters block fan as well as a three black halflings fan i think we should call them blocklings Ooh, okay. Yeah, I think that's like I think that's a good one. Blocklings. I com I'm completely on board with this. Yeah. Done. Okay. So there we go. Now we just need people. Anybody listening who, if that is you, you've got to reach out and let us know. Yeah, please, because I know that we have we get a lot of NADPOD fans because we're all, uh, we're with Headgum and we've had all the NADPOD people on our show. Uh, mm. And then from us, like from that, we've kind of created the Nadling. Uh, portmanteau. So I think, I, yeah, let's get blocklings going. I'm, I'm here for it. Blocklings. Let's start the blocklings trend. <laughs> Perfect. So the, so the two interview questions that we have because you're a returning guest is, um, what you been up to? Number one, first and foremost, since last time you were here. Oh man, uh, was the last time I was here in 2020 or 2021? I can't even remember. Time, it's 2021. Is time these past yeah. couple of years, Whoa. right? <laughs> time has flown. Okay, well, we've released a lot of actual play series since then, because I don't think we'd even done Outlaws and Obelisks. I don't even know if we'd finished uh, The Cabin and the Caterpillar when we first came on. So we've done a lot of actual play series, uh, which have mostly been GM'd by me, although we, uh, so those would include uh, The Cub and the Caterpillar, which is our Wagadu-based uh, game, which Wagadu is sort of an, is an Afro-fantasy setting. It's super cool. We are the official actual play podcast of that setting. Uh, we've done two seasons, in fact, of Wogadu. The first one is called The Cub and the Caterpillar. The second, which literally, as of this recording, the final episode released yesterday, or two days ago, is called uh, Tales of Wogadu, The Curse of the Spider Queen. We also released a, a post-apocalyptic North Africa-inspired Western series called Outlaws and Obelisks. We've had, like, a lot of... Oh, we had London Carlisle on. We ran Call of Cthulhu. We've, we've started going to cons. I was at PAX U oh, last year. Right. Yeah, nice. we did a whole panel. Uh, it was a blast. We've gotten to do D&D uh, &D in a castle now three times. Got to meet all. I got to play a game with Jeremy Crawford at the most recent one. Uh, it was I never expected that to happen. Uh, so, yeah, a lot of stuff going on. And we actually just uh, started a new podcast exclusively on our Patreon called JC's on Movies. It's Jasper William Cartwright and I, uh, Jasper William Cartwright being my co-host from Three Black Halflings, we are talking about movies. Our first episode, we talk about Knives Out. So we've been doing a bunch of stuff. Uh, I've even started pro DMing now. Uh, so go check that out. Uh, I'm on Sword and Scroll, and I'm looking to get maybe onto some other sites as well. Uh, so if you want to ever play with me, that's another uh, avenue. Uh, we've been busy. We've been busy over at Halfling Central. The schedule's been full. Yes. 
I like it. Yeah, Outlaws and Obelisk and everything from Wagadu is definitely a must listen. Because, um, like you said, it's it's giving a voice to a different style of play than I feel like most people have heard. I, it's really helped me as a DM to think just in different ways. So, thank if if nothing else, you've made one person better. So, I mean, oh. that the, is the, if that's the goal, you've done it. I mean, I assume there's probably more than one. But <laughs> well, thank you so minimum much. Minimum <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah. So with that, we have a surprise question, and I just came up with it right now. What is a con that you want to go to that you haven't yet? Oh, Gen Con. Uh, that's oh, you okay? Yeah, right yeah. off the bat, because I my understanding, I and this is a confession. I have always been a big nerd, but I never really had access to other like classic nerdy people. So I never went to cons growing up, like ever. Uh, I don't, I don't even know. I think I knew they existed, but I really didn't know much about them. Like I knew Comic Con, and I remember hearing about C two E two, but I knew almost nothing about it. So it's not been until more recently when people have been like, "Oh, I'm going to a con," and I'm like, "What?" Oh, okay. Uh, and uh, going to uh, going to Gen Con would absolutely be amazing, especially like I, I, my understanding is that for like TTRPGers, it's kind of the biggest of the cons. Uh, so I'm, I'm like, look, we didn't get to do it last year. This year we doing a panel like we doing this right. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to Gen Con this year. Yeah, it is staggering the amount of people that go to Gen Con because when I was there for the 50th anniversary, they Lucas they so they plan a weekend that's the the Indianapolis Colts aren't playing because they take over Lucas Oil Stadium because it's a dome and literally Whoa. set up tables on the like the football field that you go down to and basically that whole place is full of tables. Uh, almost every connecting or surrounding hotel has all of their spaces available. Um, so like not only is the con itself completely full the whole surrounding area is full as well whoa i i did not know it was in a stadium i assumed it was just in like a convention center or something like that so we're yeah so word to the wise anyone that hears my voice that wants to go to gin con be really mindful of where you're really supposed to be invest time invest extra time the day before because <laughs> i've done it where i'm like oh 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 no that's at that hotel that I can see off in the distance. Uh, this <laughs> this is a lot of walking and running that I didn't want to do. <laughs> yeah, there was a little bit of that at PAX Unplugged. Try to be like, where in this complex is the room I need to be? So uh, I and uh, Joan, who uh, co-hosted the panel with me, we had to like the day before spend a long time trying to explore the complex figuring out which set of stairs do we need to take that will actually take us to the right part of this building. Yeah, so I can only imagine what it's like if you like pull out the binoculars and you're like, oh, they're on the horizon. That's the yes. hotel. And you have to like hop onto your steed uh, and, and, and start riding. So now that, now that that's out of the way, and I'll also say, I'll put it into your mind, Dragon Con, just look into it. Mm. It's, it's, in, it's in Atlanta. It's, it's amazing. So... The topic at hand, we're going back to our ancestral analysis series, and that's harder to say than I thought it was. And today we're going to be talking about the Duragar, and we're all three going to also talk about how did we say it? Because <laughs> I went online, and immediately the Forgotten Realms wiki was like, this way, or this way. And I was mm -hmm. like, no, that's not helpful. So then I went on to D&D Beyond, <laughs> and I heard the dulcet tones of one Matthew Mercer say Dur. Do or Gar, mm -hmm. basically broken into the, those three parts. So, yeah, I guess that's how I'll say it. But how have both of you said it? We'll kick the conversation there. Uh, Mitch, do you want to go first or should I go it? Yeah, sure. Uh, I, I think I've probably been butchering it over the years and just said Dwerger. But it's one of those things where uh, I've never really super looked into the pronunciation. And, you know, you read a word and it becomes the way that you you say it. Man, I don't even want to talk about how how I thought that or Hermione's name when I was growing up reading the Harry Potter books was actually pronounced because as a uh, 12 year old, I was not pronouncing it right. Let's just <laughs> say it that way. But I I do think uh, the Duergar sounds way more Dwarven, uh, Dwarven, and I like that a lot. Mm. I uh, I'm right there with you. And first of all, if you hear rustling, it's because there is a cat that has decided now is the best time to start throwing toys around the room and dashing. 
Cats uh, know, man. Yeah, cats know. We've, we've had it on a couple of Three Black Halflings episodes where the cats just decide to start going at it in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm right there with you, first of all, with Hermione Granger. Until the movie came out, <laughs> I had been saying, because I think I started reading that series when I was like seven, and I read her name as like Hermione yeah. I think that's how I used to pronounce it. Yeah, yeah. I, w- I had this weird, yeah, yeah, same thing. With with, uh, <laughs> with these particular fantasy beasts, uh, I actually, the very first game that I ever ran of Dungeons & Dragons, there was a player playing one. And I read it as Dwergar, uh, thinking like sort of like a Spanish way. Like, uh, and so I was like, oh, okay. Or at least the, the UE in like a Spanish sort of way. So Dwergar, I'm like, okay. And then I also heard the dulcet tones of Matthew Mercer saying, Duergar on mm. D&D Beyond. And then I also have heard Duragar. Although I think I think phonetically, Dwergar or Duergar are probably the most accurate. And I think like Duergar, that also makes sense because the, the G-A-R cannot yeah. eat like vinegar. We don't say vinegar, so... Like, I feel like it's all fine. <laughs> I'm, ab- I'm about to. Makes me to see that meme. Oh, you just put this into the microwave for a while. Uh, so whatever we say, um, Blocklings, you must know that uh, you've got to have some grace for us, <laughs> yes. right? Because uh, it, like, it sounds like we're all maybe going to say a couple different things during the episode. I know that people have certainly let me know that they don't like the way that I say Kobold. Well, they went um, kobold. So, is that uh, what it this is? will be a fun one? <laughs> oh man, let's let's not even get in, get into that rabbit trail. <laughs> oh no, oh, uh, it's, a touchy, uh, it's a touchy subject. Yeah. Okay. Well, apologies to the cobalt contingent. Uh, let's talk about the <laughs> Duergar. Yeah. Why? So, uh, Jeremy, what was it that made you go, man? I'd like to talk about these dwarves. Well, uh, went back when I first started running D and D, and one of my players was playing a Dwergar. I was like, I was reading the lore on on the species, and I was like, oh, this is really interesting. I found uh, the lore specifically having to do with the fact that they had previously been enslaved, and they they had mm-hmm. like a reputation for being slavers. But it wasn't just like, oh, they're just monstrous people who slay who enslave people. I it was like, oh, they themselves were enslaved. They were basically, my understanding is they were minding their own business, they were digging deeper, and then they got attacked and taken over by the Mind Flayers. The the Gith showed up and helped them overthrow the Mind Flayers, uh, and ever since then, they've been, like, due to the horrible abuses that they suffered under that slavery, they have been permanently changed, uh, and now are, they have kind of become the thing that they hated, which I find really interesting. Uh, discussions of, like, trauma and uh, generational trauma and the way that like negative responses to trauma are really interesting to me. Uh, if you listen to the most recent season, uh, The Curse of the Spider Queen, that's a lot of uh, what we do in that season, talking about like how people's pasts can shape uh, how they what they do now and what they're like now uh, for positive or negative. And I found it really interesting to be like, oh, this is actually like a group of these people are like victims. They were victimized horribly and unfairly uh, by another society. And they rather than say, all right, let's make sure that never happens to somebody else. They said, we won't let that, uh, at least the way that I interpreted it is like, we will never let that happen to us again. And therefore we will stop every, like we will do it to everyone else so that it can never happen to us. Even like it, I know I, what one part that fascinated me is the fact that they're like their ire is particularly directed at the other dwarves that like it's almost like a resentment uh, toward the other dwarves, perhaps for not having gotten involved. And that was kind of how I interpreted it. I don't know if every table is going to interpret it that way, but that was kind of how I took it was that this was like a societal reaction to the trauma that they had suffered. Well, you have in, in yeah, at least in the Forgotten Realms, you have the the history being that they had. Eventually, they led themselves back to the surface world where they came back and they, you know, being from this this clan Dwerger, we're like, hey, like we're back. We want like our lands back. And because of red tape and greed, the dwarves were like, no, you've been gone so long. Like, it's not yours anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. And whatever, whatever side in that you you would agree with the, the Dwerger left and they left disappointed and disappointed being probably a pretty a tame word for it they left and from that point on like hated the dwarves because of yeah their lands not being returned uh, but man it just seems like every 
all the people of the Underdark, when you dive into their lore, somewhere along the lines, the Mind Flayers have messed them up. Yep, pretty much. Well, you brought you brought it up in a really interesting way uh, because you talked about the societal, societal norms. And it was doing this research that I think that is maybe one of the more interesting ways to look at when you see an alignment. Seeing that alignment, okay, so... Dwergar are considered lawful evil, but I would almost say that society, their society is lawful evil. Because for the most part, they don't really care what anyone else does on their individual basis. Like, just don't bother me and I won't bother you and then we'll just move on. But the structure that they've built surrounding their society is lawful evil, but also it's gotten them really, really far. Because they, like Mitch, you alluded to it, like basically they start out as this kind of homeless outcast because you know they have one less home than they need that's that's kind of how that system works they try to go back and now they have some of the strongest strongholds in the entire underdark but societally lawful evil is definitely an apt description mm. and i think you can even see some of that in in uh their god ladaguer like his nicknames in order are uh the the exile which is like okay mm. yeah he represents it's like he represents them the gray protector. So there's the, like, what is he protecting? He's protecting us, the Duergar. Uh, he's protecting us from anyone, like the Mind Flayers, or anyone who would try and hurt us. Then, of course, Master of Crafts, uh, where it's like, okay, we're industrious, we're building things, we're developing ourselves. And then we hit the Slave Driver, the Taskmaster, and the Harsh. And it's like, out of the pain of being exiled and enslaved, it's like, we're going to start working incredibly hard to never have to suffer this again. And we will inflict ourselves, we will inflict our pain on everyone else. Like, I'm not usually a huge fan of slavery in games. I know some people never want it in their games, uh, which, yeah, I respect. But I think in this particular case, it's interesting to see this as like a response, as like a trauma response, that their society has never has never responded well to what they've suffered. Yeah. And like you said, uh, Mitch, when they were rejected by the other dwarves, the heartbreak that that must have caused yeah. uh, for them to be like, but well, we, we these were our lands. Like, not anymore. Bye. And they, they're they forced down back underground. And I also do uh, what you were saying, Neil. It is interesting how uh, I think it was you, Neil, who said that every single time we look into the history of uh, any race that that lives underneath in the Underdark, that the Mind Flayers show up like inevitably. And I find that very interesting. It seems like they figure they factor the most of like the playable species, the most into the history of the Dwergar, more so than like yeah. the Drow or the uh, the Sferf Neblin or the deep, the deep Gnomes. But yeah, I find that also very interesting. The idea, like the whole idea that just underground is this mo this horrible, harsh, hospitable place with untold horrors that will alter you forever. I find that an interesting concept as well. Well, even talking about, yeah, the, the relationship between the dwarves and the Dwergar, like... It's interesting because I think that both the dwarves, from when you read the lore, the dwarves and the dwarger would speak about their relationship. And the dwarves, certainly, they they call the dwarger the dwarger, right? And the dwarger call the dwarves the dwarves. But the interesting thing about that is that, but they're all dwarves. And yet, because of this animosity, even within the dwarger's mind, it seems like there's this separation between the people of like no we are not we are not the same right we are not all dwarves those are the dwarves we are the dwarger um which i imagine there's this there's this pride behind uh, like we are the dwarger like saying that yeah i like it um i like the lore behind that you get into the even the way that the speech is surrounded and the history that's layered there but the the other thing i was thinking about Jeremy, you brought up like the gods and how there's the the gods that they worship are tied into what has happened to them as a people. I could be talking about something that there already is written lore about, but I'm I'm unaware of it. I would love to play out or hear that story of how they first started worshiping those gods, like the exile. Was it a this has happened to our people, and so they went on a search for the type of deities that filled their uh, desires and their needs. Or was there a scene when they were returning back uh, to the Underdark, heads downcast, hands clenched as fists with anger and, 
and sadness that a mysterious figure like comes out of the dark, the exile, right? And uh, so you have been exiled too, right? And like this moment where a god like introduces itself to a people um, and perhaps leads them to like a new homeland or something like that. That's that could be a really interesting if I was wanting to play the the origins of the Dwarger, that'd be an interesting uh, part of the story to tell. Mm. Yeah, I think. Uh, well, and I think even as looking at that narrative, just in in general, like even divorced from just D&D, the idea of a group of people who had faced oppression needing a deity to come and bring them a sense of strength and like save them. Very, very reminiscent of the Old Testament, actually, in a lot of ways, and where you have the children of Israel who were enslaved uh, and then God comes along and saves them in a spectacular fashion. Uh, and then they eventually reach the promised land and then have to drive everyone out of the promised land, which I, I mean, certainly from their perspective is like, yay, we're being given this land. But I suppose yep. from the perspectives of the people who were living there is like, yo, what? As people come in to wipe <laughs> them out and drive them out of the land. It's very interesting how like it, it's reminiscent, I would say, of of that sort of thing. Uh, and. Oh man, but put in put in that place like perhaps uh, the exile, right? You know, creating yeah. a story that you could a campaign you could tell. The exile leads them to conquering a portion of the Underdark that's like owned by mind flayers. Yeah, awesome, right? Like. Uh, a, a cool story that could be played out. Yeah, or like other, or they go in and find some drow, and they're like, and yeah. and Ladaguer is like, look, the drow uh, do not worship me. They do not hold our values. We cannot like y'all. This is the land that I've chosen for y'all to take. They're here. You can't be mixing with them because they're not going to accept me. We got to drive them out. And they're like, yeah, look, mm. I mean, this is how it goes. And they, they go and fight. Yeah, I find that idea really, really interesting uh, for sure. I yeah. Now makes me want to like explore these themes of the campaign. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> the best and worst part about every podcast. You're like, oh, now yeah. I want to go do this. Mm hmm. Yeah, all the ideas that we get and we don't have the time to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and again, this is a, a lot more brutal, I think, than what I would normally include in campaigns. But it's it depends yeah. on the group. Like if people are comfortable exploring these themes of like s generational trauma and like what a society because again, this is like the even in this scenario that we're proposing, it's like we're doing this because we ourselves were harmed. If we had just been left alone, we would not have needed to reach out to whatever deity we've reached out to. Because uh, I know canonically, I believe in the Forgotten Realms, a uh, lot of where was like thrown out of the Dwarven Pantheon, uh, Morden Salmon. He was exiled. And I, I think they were literally going to kill him. But uh, Baron True Silver saved Ladaguerre. And... The Grey Dwarves had a completely different, Grey Dwarves, a.k.a. Dwargar, have a completely different interpretation. Looking at the Forgotten Realms wiki, it says that they viewed that he, uh, they said that he was an advocate of righteous, innovative philosophy that had defended Moradin, the leader of the Moradin Salmon, so much that he cast him out. So it's like, okay, the, he, he was threatened by his greatness, and so he threw him out. But even that is, it's like... The, at least on Forgotten Realms, it doesn't seem to indicate how the relationship started, but there does seem to be a real deep kinship between the two. I mean, just the fact that they were exiled and he, is, he was exiled. Well, I, the, currently we're in the darkest timeline where both of them are dead and they're like, yes. and then Asmodeus being Asmodeus decides to be like, Yo, no, no, I'm that per like <laughs> puppeteering. Um, just like, no, no, I'm that person. It's okay. You should do more bad things, though. It gets even worse. They make a deal with the literal devil. Yeah, so we're in the current. Currently, we're in the darkest timeline for them. Um, but like, it's such an it's such an easy thing to change and make your world your world. If you know, saying the yeah. same thing twice, I don't know if that made it better. But the idea that that moment happened and they had two options. What if instead of Asmodeus, Moradin stepped in and said, "Hey, you've had." an immensely bad shake at, yes. at all of this. You've been literally mind twisted and fought every step of the way, both figuratively and literally with the mind flayers and also going back to what you felt was your ancestral home only to be turned back away, only to then fight mind flayers, only to, you know, and more than bringing that piece of saying like at the end of the day, also 
that separation between Dwergar and dwarves, I feel like is is less than elves and drow in the sense that dwarves still live under the ground and often air quote delve too deep. Like if they if the Dwergar delve too shallow, like they're in the same spot. Like it's really interesting yeah. how close they are, yet how far they feel. Um, but yeah, just like that one simple change of what god steps in. And it changes your whole trajectory on, you know, on the everything that they're going to do. And now it's even being like reflected in the mechanics, or at least we'll see if that carries through with one D and D. But certainly with when uh, with Morden Kamen, Morden Kanan's uh, Monsters of the Multiverse, they are now like considered both them and the Sferf Neblin, and I think the different kinds of elves are almost considered like separate beings they're under the overall category in much the same way that like that uh goblins hobgoblins and bugbears are all goblinoids i think elf is now just a t- like a banner that cover and in the similar way that dwarf is now just a banner but they didn't release all the other dwarves they didn't have the mountain dwarves and the hill dwarves and whatnot it's just the duergar that are this separate species from the rest under the dwarf banner and so it's like even that is it's lore wise they're enforcing the separation between them and the powers that they have are so different yeah from the rest of the dwarves. The fact that they can uh, enlarge themselves, turn invisible. They have like, I think adv- it's either resistance to psychic damage or uh, advantage on saves against psychic. Let me see here. Yeah, Which that makes, that makes sense, right? Based on the backstory that we've gone into um, with mind. Poison spells and, and illusions as well as to be charmed or paralyzed. Yeah. They don't want to be tricked. Yeah, exactly. They get no more. They refuse to take, uh, take yeah. any more of this. I, I find that really interesting as well. Um, it's also reminiscent of the ghostwise halflings to a degree. And I, that's like the, the kind of halfling that I feel like most people I I was when I first heard the name, I was like, why? Like I because I when reading about halflings, for some reason, I only ever saw Lightfoot and Stout. I never even saw the ghostwise. But there was like the idea that the ghostwise themselves had previously had like a war that basically they were led astray by one cleric who led them to worship the beast god. Again, a name that uh, has many different uh, pronunciations, or at least two. I've heard Malar and Malar. I said Malar, but I've heard Malar. But like the 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 god of evil lycanthropes, and they started a war with the rest of the halflings. They lost, so then they they were like driven out, and they took an oath that they wouldn't speak. Until they had like made amends. So they developed uh, the ability to speak telepathically after that. But like even after that, they were never really integrated back in. They were just their own society separated from the rest. And while the Duergar had never really had the initial, like they didn't, they didn't have like an inciting war that, co- that resulted in them being driven away. The idea of them being like a separate category, like from the rest of their species, because of drama, essentially that it happened, like horror, like uh, bad things that happened in the past is uh, an interesting parallel to me. So the other thing that you had brought up, and I don't know how long ago it was, but you were mentioning that the first time you were dungeon mastering, one of your one of characters that's not true one of your players played a dwergar um as their character like what did like i mean just for contextual for the conversation like what edition was that and also how did that go because sometimes that's a really interesting one to add you know either a drow or dwergar into the campaign because you want to touch on some of those things, but you don't want it to be a focal point. You don't want it to be, uh, I mean, you don't want them to stress in every single town that they go into every conversation that they have to every single thing that they're doing. Unless that's what they're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. Player. Like, yeah, that's yeah. You don't want to be like, Oh no, no, you have to go through every single thing based. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Just a miserable experience. People won't let you into their taverns. I'm going to make every town encounter for you. (laughs) Horrible. Um, um, well, it, uh, it was fifth edition, and both I—I I was a new dungeon master, and the player had never played before. So we, I basically just made it part of the story. Uh, the first thing I think that was very frustrating for her was the sunlight sensitivity, because anything that took place above ground, she was just at disadvantage, and that got annoying. And I was like, yeah. That is annoying. And so uh, <laughs> when she encountered other subterranean folks, they were like, oh, yeah, we have like shades that help with that. 
And they basically, because I was like, why wouldn't they? If they, if you're going to go above ground, why would you not basically invent sunglasses so that you can? So they were like goggle. I called yeah. them goggles of shade, but they were like they were sunglasses in goggle form. And so she got a pair of those. But then from there, I'm like, I, I had. Uh, I started DMing only a few years ago, and I was v- heavily inspired by Dimension 20. Uh, by then, only Fantasy High had been released, I think. So I was I was like, all right, I watched Fantasy High, and I'm like, oh, he's integrating all the stuff from the characters' backstories into the story. Whoa, this is wild. I've never seen this. <laughs> and so I was like, that's what, a, that's what you should do. That's how you make a good campaign. So the next thing, I'm like, okay, this person is from a race of people that are known for being this way, known for being evil, known for having these particular cultural practices. All right, let's explore that. And so after the initial session where they had met a bunch of miniature uh, minotaurs, we called them the minitars, just like a tribe of them (laughs) living in the woods, isolated from everybody else. The next storyline was that the minitars got kidnapped by the Dwergar. And that apparently that this had already the the Dwergar had always intended to go up and enslave these people, but they had had like this powerful sorceress protecting them, which the party defeated. And so once she was out of the way, the Dwergar went and abducted all of the Minitars. <laughs> and so we had a yeah, so we had a whole like quest going below ground, traveling through the Underdark, having to infiltrate. And th- this wasn't Forgotten Realms, so we had like different cities and everything like that. But they had to infiltrate the city where they discovered that there was actually a pretty tense political situation where some of the Dwergar had started to basically because they started to interact more with their slaves they started to take on the cultural practices of their slaves and started to be like hey wait a minute these slaves are like they're people there are people with cultures and and ideas that are interesting why do we have to have this mentality like we could we a lot of why does a lot of where have to just be all about enslaving other people why can't it just be like we strengthen ourselves and we strengthen other people as well and we get form alliances maybe and it was like a, a more progressive contingent was growing amongst the culture of the people but they were being opposed of course by the establishment and there was like a plot where the establishment in desperation uh, and fear of like this the our society, could crumble and we could turn away from what we believe is the proper worship of Lodigware. They created essentially like a synthetic elder brain to try and that they would control to try and then use that to control the whole populace of the city. And be like, if you will not submit, then we will use uh, Lodigware's power and our powers to uh, leverage the same kinds of powers that were used against us before against you. And if it's in the name of right, then that's that's ultimately what we should do. And so it, the party ended up having to be like, okay, let's fight this uh, new elder brain menace that they've created. And it was a lot of fun. Uh, but that was, that was pretty much how we explored it, was like the idea of who do you agree with? Do you do you do you condemn this group of people for doing what they're doing when you understand what their backstory is? And even if you don't fully condemn them, do you feel the need to stop them from doing what they're doing? Do you join with the progressive contingent and basically try and overthrow the established government, uh, thereby potentially throwing the city into chaos? Or do you maybe let the establishment continue, knowing that the establishment may just fully enslave every person in the city, Dwergar or not? Uh, and so that was the moral. It wasn't really that much of a moral dilemma, to be honest. I had intended it to be one, but the party was like, nah, we think the slavery is <laughs> bad and we're going to uh, we're just going to stop the elder brain. And I was like, cool. Sounds good to me. <laughs> uh, but that was that was pretty much how we did it. Yeah, it's such I mean, so many good touch points there. The, the two big ones that stand out are one, always think about the power vacuum that you could create by, you know, facing the BBG and then being gone Two, anything that's magic can be reproduced by somebody else. It's also like the idea of a synthetic elder brain. Um, But yeah, I think, I think no matter how you approach it, I think the, one of the biggest points of the Duragar is having them be a society unto themselves. I think that's one of the key aspects of the species as it sits that they, that for whatever reason they have become, insulated to the rest of the world based on the things that have happened i think um with that you can then layer in a lot of surprises because again if your players don't if your players don't know and then all of a sudden this this dwarf that they're fighting becomes really big and invisible that's 
Yeah. Man, that, that first time that that happens yeah. is something else for your players because they're so <laughs> used to um, that not being the case. And so there's a lot that you can do, especially layering in all the magic, all the resistances, all of those things. I think that they also end up just being a really great counter to whatever your party's doing. Yeah, I can attest to that. The uh, We played that all the way back in... 2019 and to this day one of my friends is like that was one of the most memorable moments is when we first encountered <laughs> one and we were and he was playing a minotaur it's like six foot or seven foot whatever gigantic man he min maxed his stats so he started with like he was a barbarian as well so he started with like a 20 strength and a 19 con so he's an absolute superhero and this dude that he's towering over this like four foot tall dwarf suddenly yep. grows to like 10 <laughs> feet tall and he's like oh no and just starts laying waste <laughs> to the party. Uh, it was such. It was a classic, uh, an absolute classic moment for sure. I do like the uh, the discussion too. It's getting my you know brain going with just you know the dwarger being this. Uh, they are uh, dwarven people, but they have just through everything that's happened to them and being turned away uh, by the rest of the Dwarven people. like, And then just even being in the Underdark, this place, as, as we said, has many dangers. They are a society unto themselves. And of course, you're going to like go to different Dwarger cities in the Underdark, and you're going to, you, you should when you're going to different uh, cities, like be like, okay, well, what's the, what's the difference between this Dwarger city and this Dwarger city? And how do, how, you know, what are the cultures in these two different cities but I think when, you know, when you're DMing and you're running a game where your players are entering into a Dwarger city, these are questions you got to ask, like, what are they going to see? I think there's a lot of things that you can take out of what we all think of as like a Dwarven city and like place into an Underdark uh, setting, but it's going to also be different, right? And what are those differences? I think, right, right, the two, two of the things that pop right to the top of my head besides uh, what we've talked about with uh, if you're going to be encountering slavery, like I think the Dwarger, it would fit very well into their city uh, to have like coliseums where they they have battles. All I, I think of like Dwarger riding into uh, a coliseum on Umberhulks, right? Mm -hmm. And like these these scenes of intense violence, which I think the Dwarger people from what we have established, it would fit very well that they. Uh, this is their sport. They they absolutely love uh, the Coliseum. Maybe it's a central part of their cities. But then the other thing that I that I like that I'm mostly just getting out of the art style of the Dwarger is there's so many like art styles that we've gotten where Dwarger have within their hair. Neil's got a, on his background right now. There there's the Dwarger female that has. Her red hair spiked up in a spiky mohawk. I've seen it with the Dwarger beards where they're spiked. And this just leads me to believe if you are entering into a Dwarger city and you go into a tavern, there is definitely Dwarger punk bands mm -hmm. uh, yeah. that are like in the style, right, of like, you know, these classic punk bands like the Clash and the Sex Pistols that their their crowd is rowdy uh, and they're being spit on and they're loving it. Like this is like Dwarger music in my mind. Yeah. And, I, and, you know, the the bass, the bassist has a an actual axe that's been transformed into a guitar like. I love that kind of idea, but yeah, I think that, I don't know, what are, what are some ideas of like, what would you have your players experience going into a Dwarger city that would be different than another place? Yeah. Uh, Cause I, I think with any culture, it's good to make it feel non-monolithic. You can mm. be like, this is the overall flavor of the culture. This is, these are the features, but even in America, uh, depending on what state you're going to, you yep. are hitting a drastically different version of America. Lots of, yeah, lots of cultures <laughs> within a state yeah. or yeah, even yeah. In within the country for sure. Yeah, exactly. Uh, coming from Ohio, there's a big difference between the three. Well, there's a big difference. There are notable differences between the three big cities, Cincinnati, Columbus, Toledo, but even outside it, like if you compare those cities to the, areas immediately surrounding it's like yeah small town ohio very different from big city ohio uh and of course a big city in ohio is very different from a big city in new york state for example but i yeah so i would absolutely like you talk about punk bands i'm like let's have one city be super into punk let's have another yeah. city be super into like industrial 
Uh, I think another another one could be like uh, noise, like noise music that they really like. Just the sound of the machinery. There are like yeah. artists who are doing stuff to like alter the sounds that you're just Ooh, like, you got yeah. a dwarf with rather than like two drumsticks. He's got two hammers, right? Like, yeah, exactly. And they're just like running machinery. I think you could probably I'm wondering if like with the industriousness and the emphasis on like intellect and intelligence amongst among them. I'm wondering if if games of strategy would be like a big element like yeah. step like chess. I think that could be really interesting. Uh I th- I think like looking at actual cultures from city to city and even having like different like cities look at each other and be like, "Oh yeah, the way that they do things, nah, we're not real." Like, yeah, look, that's not really how you should worship Lodigware. Like, I know we're all part of the same country, we're all Dwergar here, but like, come on now. They're too <laughs> rowdy. You know, it's about stoicism. We need to be serious about this. And maybe there's one where it's all like vocal music. Like, if you ever listen to like Basso Profondo music from like Russia, where it's the most intense, like all these deep voiced men just sitting around singing yes. these hymns to Lodigware. And it's like, oh, and real ominous and like, yeah. This is this is the real stuff where it's at right now. None of that raucous stuff. Uh, and then even within that, people who will have different interpretations. I think any religion, once it gets a big enough, you have a lot of different interpretations of how it should function. So I think it would be interesting to have some cities that are more slave focused. Other cities maybe that are like, eh, we're not like we do it, but like, eh. and maybe like abolitionist elements within the society. Uh, maybe I think conservative versus progressive is always an mm. interesting thing to play with because uh, any society is going to have people who do or don't fit into the societal mold. So, and, and even on a personal basis, some Dwergar may fit that stereotypical, like, they're just real gruff, serious, unfriendly, don't really care about, like, pleasure or passion or anything like that. But then you're going to have a lot of people who are passionate about things. Maybe they're passionate about their religion. Uh, maybe they are, like, yeah, like, e- in a church uh, that you go to, you're going to have some people who are super hardcore. You're going to have other people who are as devout as those people, but interpret things differently. And then you're going to have the, the, we only come on the holidays, Sort of people like what happens if you have the only on on holidays Lodigware worshippers and they're like, yeah, we don't even live in like the main city. We're like we're removed from all of that. But we just come in to, you know, we don't even have like on our place. We actually they're not even slaves. We just have workers. We buy people as as uh, as slaves and then free them and then just pay them. And give them room and board, and they're essentially like live-in servants. And we even like maybe even the more extreme ones are like we have programs that we're like, yeah, we resettle. Uh, and then there's the revolutionary contingent can look at them and be like, you guys are taking half measures. Like it's good what you're doing, but we got to dismantle the system. You're still profiting off of the system that's here. And like I don't know, I think there's unlimited stories you could tell with this, with based on the amount of time that I've been talking about it. <laughs> I think there's a lot of intricacy if you're willing to explore that stuff. And again, you should definitely check with your players before you start exploring things like this because if someone comes from a culture that has been, say, the victim of oppression or a victim of slavery, they may view D&D as like an escape and they may not want to have to deal with all of those things. So definitely check with your party before you start introducing things like this and don't introduce them unless everyone's okay with it. But I think there is a lot that can be explored if you're interested in that sort of thing. Well, I think you make a fantastic point about just, you know, like as we've said, you you were saying, you know, you go to a different place in just Ohio and you've got totally different cultures within one state and you go further and you get different cultures. That, like we have to, like, I think, recognize with this fantasy setting of the Underdark, uh, like, is it easier or harder to travel from pro- place to place in the Underdark than the surface world? Like. It's it's tunnel systems. There's dangers. And typically, I think of a lot of under dark societies not traveling most. I I think there's lots of people within under dark cities that have never traveled outside of their city. Or if they are, it's like they're going on patrols. Right. But they're returning. They're returning. And so if the under dark in your world is spanning the whole world. Like mm-hmm. there, sh- there absolutely should be if there are Dwerger cities that are on one side of the world and the other side of the world, and they have been separated for thousands of years because how do they even travel to like maybe ne- never even heard about the other cities? 
Mm-hmm. They should have vast differences based on what their uh, people believe, based on what their people have gone through, based on where they are and the the climate. And like, is the climate different um, in the Underdark in different places? I would think so. Right. So, yeah, like they're I think that they should absolutely be different when there's when it's spanning a whole world. And perhaps there's hasn't been contact between two cities or whatever it is for perhaps thousands of years, like they should be vastly different. Yeah. The, mm-hmm. the biggest thing I think about, and it'll go back to our conversation previously about conventions. Um, I think a lot of people here in the U S kind of lose perspective that the U S is huge. So where I live in central California, when I went to San Diego comic-con, that is the same distance travel as going from London to Paris. Cause I had been in Paris. So I used Paris as like my touch point. When I go to Gen Con, which is not East coast to West coast, mind you. This is Indianapolis. That is as if I went from Paris to Moscow. <laughs> if I were to go from the East Coast to the West Coast, I would could potentially be deep into China if I started in Paris and went that same distance. And so, to, yeah, the idea that these are also societies that, like, they, they're not being able to communicate well. They're not exposed to much because usually they're walled off because they don't like mind flares and they don't like other things that would come in and just mind mindlessly potentially just kill their society, be it umber hulks, be it the vast majority of things in the underdark. So they are very insular. And I think that also would be really fun to have, especially if you had a character that was from a different city. And especially if they're saying things about how things will happen. When they get into the city, and then they're just like, "Oh, what is this ska? How dare they?" Um, when, ska. <laughs> but but the idea of like even having those preconceived notions within your party based on firsthand experience from someone else, only to realize like, no, these are very different because you know, again, thousands of miles, thousands of years, it's it's going to end up very. Yeah, different. I love that idea. <laughs> Uh, I love that because that's a really good point. I hadn't even considered how drastically different some of these societies would get because of how difficult travel would become. Uh, it, that that even is like on a philosophical level, maybe like what happens if you have a society that rather their their mentality isn't necessarily we have to keep all of the dangerous stuff out, but rather like we have to work with the dangerous stuff to like the the dangerous stuff is dangerous because we don't fully understand it. We haven't fully worked out how to work with it. Uh, like what happens if you meet people who have like partnered in some way with like umber hulks and different like different species that live in the underdark what if what happens if you find like some folks who somehow found a way to like uh create a symbiosis between themselves and like a version of mind flayers and so they're like part like they're um there it is i'm reminded of animorphs there's like uh the the main villain in oh man what a yeah <laughs> the <laughs> the villains in animorphs are the yurks which are these space slugs that control your brain they go in through your ear take over your brain and they control you but in one book the animorphs encounter a species called the iskort which it turns out the iskort were actually two different species the isk and the yort and the yort functioned very similarly to the yurks and at some point i think they were having a war and they decided look the best way to do this the the yort need a place to live we are like we are in the process of having a war with them that's going to destroy both of us why don't we genetically modify both of our species so we literally can't survive without each other and it becomes a symbiosis. So, like, they combine their bodies with the, the ISK, combine their bodies with Yort, and it's like the Yort input information and help with the, and like they're a collective being essentially. What happens if that happens, if, if that's what the Mind Flayers do with the, or if the Durgar do that with the Mind Flayers? If they're like, what if rather than trying to engage in these wars that result in heavy losses on both sides and horrible oppression and, and uh, brutality on both sides, what if we were to like just alter ourselves? This is a magic world we can make you already made us different we already have like psychic stuff going on what if we go a step further and we're all part mind flare and you like you guys your your appetite for brains is like you just feed on this one brain 
and, and I still get to keep control. And it's like, I gain your psychic powers, you gain the nutrients from my brain forever, and we become a new species. Like, what happens if that's a subculture that's, you know, a real isolated group living yeah. out someplace? And, you know, every every Duergar who visits is like, whoa, you know, <laughs> deeply horrified. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, and all these, like, big-headed people, like these gi- these people with gigantic craniums, and, like, their their beards are weirdly tentacly. Like, they move, like, tentacles. The uh, yeah, sure. exactly. <laughs> but they're at the same time. They're like, yeah, we're happy. This is we're cool. We yeah. we this is the way to be, man. This is the best way to be. This is the life. <laughs> per- what what a perfect way to wrap this up. A animorphs reference and yes. giant headed um, underground dwarfs. <laughs> yes. So the the final question we certainly have is where can people go to see all of the things you're doing? Listen, download, support, and all of those things. Okay. Well, you can follow uh, the show that I'm on. Three Black Halflings on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at three, this is number three, Black Halflings. Uh, if you like what we do, we do uh, interviews, we do DM tips and player tips. Uh, we've had Neil on, uh, in fact. We did an interview with Neil. We do, and we don't just do interview, we don't, we don't just do uh, DM tips, player tips. We talk about uh, general nerd stuff. We talk about inclusivity and diversity in Dungeons and Dragons and the nerd sphere in general. And we do actual play, which we've I've already talked about. We do, there's a whole host of uh, series. None of the series are super long. I think our longest ones are 20 episodes each, uh, and typically the episodes are shorter than the average episode of Critical Role, so not a huge time investment. We do one-shots, two-shots, mini-series. We did one last year called City of the Black Rose that we're planning a sequel to. Sneak. Uh, I think this is the first time that I've compa- hey. uh, literally uh, confirmed that we have actually recorded part of a sequel series to uh, City of the Black Rose, uh, so go check that out. If you like all of that stuff, you can go check us out on Patreon for even more stuff. Uh, Patreon.com slash TB Halflings. We have uh, talkback episodes. We have bonus episodes. We have kickback episodes, which is essentially where one of us will just hang out with a guest. We've had people like Emily Axford, uh, Brennan Lee Mulligan, Connie Chong, uh, a whole bunch of cool folks that we've had on both our main show and our Patreon. And we just started a movie review podcast, JC's on Movies. Uh, first episode, Knives Out, only available on the Patreon. Go check that out. And if you want to follow me, you can follow me on Twitter and Hive, although I haven't really posted anything on hive i have just claimed the username in case twitter actually does eventually sync uh at jeremy cobb one that's cobb with two b's and the number one and i also have an instagram i don't remember what it's called but over 100 people follow me i've never posted anything on it i'm trying to see how many followers i can get before i actually say the real name of the instagram on air or post anything on instagram so if you manage to find me it always brings a smile to my face Perfect. Well, as always, thank you for coming on, and we'll so much. we'll probably have you or another halfling on before we know it. Yay! I can't wait. Thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. We just want to thank Jeremy again for coming on, spending some time with us, talking about Dwergar and the fact that it started out with his very first session having a Dwergar PC. He was the right man for the conversation. And if you wanted to tell us about how you've added Dwergar to your game, you can always email us at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. And of course, if you enjoyed it so much that you want to tell us about us, tell us about it in a review. You can do that on Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice, of course. And for everything else about us, you can head over to Twitter and follow us at DMS underscore block. That's at DM, DMs block. Of course, we're on Facebook and hopefully wherever you want to find us. As always, the Dungeon Master's Block is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network, where you can check out other shows like Detentions and Dragons, Dungeons and Dragons and Daughters, and more. As always, thanks for listening to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the ego of everyone else at the table. I'm DM Neil. Good night. Good luck.
Goodbye.